We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiao Xinxiang of the New Power Party. Hello, everyone. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight, we'll be discussing concern here in Taiwan over Hong Kong's extradition law, claims by a former New Power Party chairman, Huang Guozhang, that he's planning to form a new political party. Another deadly Aloha bus crash, a lawsuit by residents of Vietnam's Hai Tin province against the Formosa Plastics Group here in Taipei, and some tabloid tittle-tattle. But we'll begin at the beginning. Now, the much-delayed DPP presidential primary is finally over, thankfully, because I've just had enough of talking about it, and President Tsai Ing-wen won the poll and will now represent the party in January's election. Tsai beat former Premier William Lai by 8.2 percentage points in the polls, and DPP Chairman Zhuo Rongtai said Tsai received an average support rating of 35.67% from five different polls, while Lai garnered an average support rating of 27.48% in the same polls. Now, the polls compared the popularity of both Lai and Tsai against that of Taipei Mayor Kerwin and Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu. And Tsai's rating was higher than that of Ker and Han in the polls, who received support ratings of 22.7% and 24.51% respectively. And Ker and Han garnered support ratings of 27.38% and 23.47% respectively when polled against William Lai. Now, the polls, if you're interested, were conducted by five different polling companies, which collected a combined total of 16,051 valid samples through cell phone and landline-based interviews. Now, although the time period for carrying out the primary polls was originally set from this Monday through today, the polling companies did manage to collect the required number of samples by Wednesday evening. And now Tsai Ing-wen is expected to be officially nominated at the party's 2020 candidate at the DPP's Central Executive Committee meeting on June the 19th. So, Ross, it's finally over, we know. But 8.2 percentage points, a larger margin than you thought or a lesser margin than you thought? It depends how much value you put on the the style in which the poll was conducted, as well as the rapidity with which it was decided to use this kind of process. As we know, William Lai had many objections to the way the poll was designed. And, and there's some valid concerns, uh, starting with the division between landlines and mobile phones, the construct of the question, who was asked, which is one of the issues I personally have a a problem with because, as as you know, Gavin, this was not a poll of DPP members. It was uh, random phone calls to members of the public who may or may not like the DPP, may or may not like Hango Yu or or Koeja. So the whole design of the poll is a little weird. I admit I have a bit of a bias being American and our poll or our primaries, I should say, to uh, nominate a candidate for a political party is generally in most states only open to people who have registered for uh, uh, that party's uh, primary. So to poll the public, And and we all know from media reports that there was efforts by supporters to try to, quote unquote, explain uh, how to answer the questions uh, so that the candidate you like comes out better than the candidate you don't like. And and one way to do that would be if you support Tsai and you're asked, do you support Lai, Ka, 
or Han, you would say or Han just so lie would look bad in that poll, even though you're you're a, a DPP supporter. Uh, normally, you would still prefer lie over or Han. Uh, so there are a lot of questions about the poll construct. But regardless, she's now the nominee. I mean, one other thing I, I'll end this with is we have to keep in mind that her support level is still weak. So she won this poll against. Lai, I'm sorry, against Han and 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 Ke, uh, and did better than Lai does against those two. But if you look at the overall numbers, it's not like she was in the 50 percent uh, against the other two candidates. So uh, her support level is weak. Uh, we know that just from general public polling, her satisfaction uh, has consistently fell uh, ever since she came into office in May of 2016. Uh, and in two cohorts, the 20 to 29 and the 30 to 39, and I guess this is Xiao's area of expertise because his party caters to younger voters, supposedly, not older voters. Uh, she did rather poorly in the 20 to 29 and the 30 to 39. Uh, a lot of her votes came from, from the 40s to the 50s uh, range. And Kuh still, America is still doing very well with the younger voters. Of course, we don't know what turnout will be next January. It's just a little hard to start predicting these things. Uh, but uh, that, that's another thing she should be worried about, uh, where her support came, and, and also that her support was not, was not amazingly high. Yeah, I totally agree, uh, Ross, on that point. I mean, um, first of all, I just, we just would like to, you know, I say that we too are, you know, pretty happy that the the primary is all over, and then um, the the finally DPP got a nominee, and then many congratulations to President Tsai Ing Wen in winning uh, this nomination. Although she, you know, really had to go through a uh, awkward position of facing, you know, a challenge inside her party, being a sitting president, and also the the, the challenger is her uh, former premier. So, um, but nonetheless, I mean, I mean, she really uh, ran a home run in in the polls. I mean, so just as Gavin mentioned, she not only won um, against Lai, also won against uh, Han and Ke. Um, so it's pretty amazing. It's, it's an all sweeping victory. I mean, and we are pretty happy to see that um, she win decisively. Um, and as Russ pointed out, that um, the, the polls, you know, if you look at the, the details of the polls, uh, it, among uh, older folks, uh, she won about 2%. But uh, among people 39 years of age and, and under, um, she won about a whopping 20%. So it's uh, it's it's pretty good number to look at that she's really you know have uh controlling you know um, the uh, decisive support of the younger voters and that's reflected in the dpp's decision to include cell phones in the polls um so if you remember um before the the dpp they were bickering back and forth about you know whether to include cell phones and how much percentage the cell phone should 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 should, should take make up um, now it turns out I mean if they don't include cell phones uh, President Tsai Ing-wen may have a real difficulty uh, winning a decisive you know victory in the primaries but uh, as we can see that with 50% of the cell phones being counted in the primaries um, the younger voice really um, turn up and then uh, shows that she uh, really have a solid support in that in that demographic. But but, but Xiaowei, she only won by like two percent in the twenty to twenty nine group in the poll with with Ko Wenjia. Right, that's not decisive. She only came out ahead by two per, you know, two two points. Right. If, if had to have Ko Wenjia, she may have a uh, real battle. But but the good news may be that Ko uh, may be considering not running, given that person is uh, is, is the nominee. So, but we'll see on that point. I was going to mention that. I mean, obviously these polls are against two people that might not even run. 
Exactly. So um, that, that's uh, that, that, that's how, as Russ mentioned, it's always the, uh, some arbitrariness in the construct of the polls, right? But but you have to conduct a primary. You have to conduct the polls in some way. So I, this is the way they did it. And well, again, a, a, a logical way to do it would be to have uh, people who are party members. Now, in Taiwan, that's typically or historically meant people who have registered and paid their dues, so they're actually a member in good standing, and you establish their eligibility. Again, that's very different from what we do in the United States, where you just have to sign a form to say, I want to register as a Republican or a Democrat, and you don't have to pay any money, but then you're eligible to vote in, in those those primaries. Uh, and, uh, as you know, Gavin, right now, uh, your favorite political party in the United Kingdom is having a leadership uh, process, right? I believe that's that's open to, to party members in the initial stages, if I'm not mistaken. So again, it's not the general public that gets to to vote uh, for for the UK Conservative Party leader. So I think it's just a little odd that that this poll to determine the DPP candidate was open to the public, and then again, this this weird construct of having, as Gavin accurately pointed out. Two people who aren't even officially candidates yet, and obviously it ignores uh, the potential that that Guo Taiming becomes the KMT candidate, that there are other independent candidates. There are are several people who are rumored to be running. They might not necessarily win or even come close to winning, but they'll certainly take votes off from some people. So... uh, Odd process. Uh, you, you you call it a, a home run for for Tsai Ing-wen's. Yeah, I'd say it's more like like a bunt base hit. <laughs> <laughs> if she squared around to bunt, the fielders couldn't field the ball cleanly, and she beat the throw to first base. No, okay, and and she's probably that. like sweating and really exhausted <laughs> having done that. Right, and just to clarify, Ross was being facetious when he mentioned it being my favourite political party in the UK. Anyway, we'll move on now on this week's protests in Hong Kong over a rather controversial extradition bill that will allow people in the former British territory to be sent to China to face trial, where they've been making front-page news here in Taiwan, as in much of the world, over the past week. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen on Thursday called on the Hong Kong government to listen to public concerns over the bill and possibly talk to the protesters. Earlier this week, representatives from civic groups here in Taiwan voiced their support for the protesters in Hong Kong and rallied outside the Hong Kong representative office here in Taipei. And one of those people rallying there was Sunflower student movement leader Lin Fei Fan. And he turned round to the press when questioned about the extradition bill and said that it not only threatens Hong Kong people, but it also threatens Taiwan's social movement workers like himself, who could face extradition proceedings if they make even a transit stopover in Hong Kong in the future. So obviously, Xiao, your party is heavily involved in this, obviously, opinion about this extradition law. Yeah, we are strongly against this uh, this passage of this bill. Just as Lin Feifan point out, I mean, um, many of us can transit uh, over, stopping over in Hong Kong. And then if this bill does pass, I mean, it's going to be create a lot of danger for us because, um, as we all know, that uh, Chinese government is monitoring. I mean, each of us very closely online. So whatever we post uh, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, um, if they are not liking it, I mean, they could just pick any of us up in the uh, Hong Kong airport and then send us to face trial in China. So this is really a serious danger. Just as uh, many scholars have said, I mean, this bill uh, destroys the war between uh, the rule of law in Hong Kong and then the, the absence of the rule of law in China. So this, uh, this is something very serious. And we see that, um, so as, as, Russ, as, as Gavin mentioned, I mean, any country in the world is paying a lot of attention in this protest, but especially so in Taiwan, because this 
is an example of how a one country two system is turning out. And then in Taiwan, there's a lot of debate on whether we should be pro China or against China. And and you you see that a lot of these pro China politicians they twist and turn in talking about this issue. So the other day, Han Guo was asked about his protest, and on top of his head, he can only say, um, "I don't know. I have no idea." Um, this is just. Uh, very clear to show that a lot of pro-China politicians, they, um, they, at the one hand, they want to defend democratic values, but the, at the other hand, they just don't want to anger the Chinese government at all. Um, so this gives the Taiwanese voters uh, a clear um, pathway to see that who, who they should be choosing for their future. Do they want to? Uh, do they want Taiwan to step uh, into the, the the future like Hong Kong, or they want to maintain our, our independence and our rule of law and our justice systems? I think this conversation shows the enormous misunderstandings about the extradition bill. Of course, it's not it's not perfect. Uh, but first of all, Gavin, the, the bill is not just for China, right? It's it, it, it's it's uh, and this is an important point. Right, the, the extradition legislation that the Hong Kong government has proposed to the Legislative Council, which is the equivalent of Hong Kong of our Legislative UN, uh, is to allow the Hong Kong government to extradite people who are wanted and requested by other jurisdictions, not only China. Uh, and there is a process, right? So it's not a China extradition bill. And there's also a process that involves the Hong Kong government reviewing the case, as well as uh, a recourse to the courts, as well for the alleged. So it, it's the despite uh, the terrible things that the Chinese government does, and, and they've done terrible things in Hong Kong as well, such as kidnapping people, uh, there, there's a distinction between kidnapping someone and being involved in this process or, or being put into this process if somebody is detained in Hong Kong. Uh, so we, we, we see that absolutely nobody believes the Hong Kong government uh, or the courts might actually uphold the process that they say they're going to have. Uh, and, and that might turn out to be true, but it's, it's a little unclear to me why Like our starting point is to say... The opponents are absolutely correct, and the Hong Kong government absolutely cannot be trusted. The Hong Kong courts absolutely cannot be trusted. We don't have a, a, you know, a reason to believe that the the process, as the Hong Kong government says it will play out, won't play out in every single case. And frankly, the distinction between a kidnapping and the process is if China really wants to kidnap Xiao from the airport, they'll just kidnap him. So it kind of makes this <laughs> this extradition process irrelevant. Right. And also in response to public protests and, and discussion with various sectors of Hong Kong society, the business sector, legal sector, the Hong Kong government has made changes to legislation. So previously it was for crimes of uh, three years or more of imprisonment. Now it's seven years. The lists of crimes that could potentially uh, or would be subject to extradition requests has been limited from where they started. So now it's mostly economic corruption, uh, uh, sexual related crimes, pedophilia, things like that. Uh, and again, we could not believe the Hong Kong government. We could consider them to be liars or unable to uh, implement what they say they're going to do. Uh, but but they've made it clear that it's not it's not for political related crimes. Uh, so again, there is a process. There's recourse to the courts. I'm not saying it would all play out as, as nicely as human rights advocates would say it should play out. And that's why they object to it. Uh, but but there is a process. And, and I, I think it's it, it's not productive for the conversation to say that Xiao w would just be detained in the airport. But that's what we see a lot of people here in Taiwan saying. And we also have to keep in mind, one more point, Gavin, that the genesis, the reason why the Hong Kong government brought this legislation forward was because a young man murdered someone 
here in Taiwan, a, a Hong Kong resident murdered his Hong Kong girlfriend while they were holidaying here in Taiwan, and he returned to Hong Kong before the crime was discovered. And because there is no current mechanism to extradite someone uh, between Hong Kong and Taiwan, the, the Hong Kong government said our idea is to create a mechanism where we could extradite in the absence of an extradition treaty. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Ross that um, the, the the bill does not only focus on China. I mean, of course, the yeah, the, the original incident was uh, was happening happening in Taiwan, um, but actually, Hong Kong can treat this case by case. So they don't really have to pass this sweeping law in order to extradite um, that said criminal to uh, to Taiwan. So, but why they have to pass such a bill and then just take away the uh, the guard against you know extradition to to China is very alarming. Uh, and as Ross mentioned. There, there is a judicial process in in, in in Hong Kong, and there's an appealing you know a process. But um, as you can see in Hong Kong, the the rule of law, the democratic institutions, are being eroded. I mean, year after year after year. So it's only twenty second years into the promise of one country, two system, and Hong Kong has been downgraded. After once again and again as a, as a democratic region, so it's it's really hard to say that. I mean, in the future, if any Chinese um, government any wants to accuse any Hong Kong uh, citizen as as committing a crime of political nature or or whatnot, they can just make up any criminal charges against him and have him extradited to China. So this is not unthinkable. So we are not really you know sounding alarm bells needlessly because because there's a real danger in there that the, Chi- the Hong Kong can really fall into the uh, authoritarian grasp of the Chinese government. Right, moving on now, and a new power party lawmaker and the party's former chairman, Huang Guozhang, this week denied reports that he plans to form a new political party. Now, Xiao, of course, this denial follows comments by a popular YouTuber called Holger Chen, who is better known by the moniker Guanjiang, and he's a rather large chap covered in tattoos. But according to Huang, he has no such plans to start a new party and is instead working towards uniting several of the island's smaller parties under one banner to, in his words, counter the deep and the KMT in the next legislative elections, which take place alongside the presidential election in January. Now, according to Huang, he believes getting more lawmakers from the so-called third force parties elected would prevent future ruling parties from simply ramming bills through the legislature and give people more oversight into the bills. So... He was going to start a new party. He's not going to start a new party. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'll believe him when he says he did not denies he's starting a, a new party. But uh, Huang Guochang being a, the most uh, recognized figure in our party, and then he is really representing a ferocious uh, voice in parliament, and then going after you know government officials, going after corruption and whatnot. He's really enjoying a lot of support among the uh, young voters, uh, especially our, uh, our root supporters. Um, but at the same time, um, Huang Guochang is uh, also known as somebody who uh, have, has a f- likes a flavor of the dramatics. So um, sometimes, um, so I believe he is talking in private with Guan Zhang when he's discussed all that. And then Guan Zhang is not somebody who you know who, who is known for keeping people's secrets or, or private conversations for that matter. So, um, but of course, it caught a lot of us in in the party leadership by surprise that uh, when he said he is uh, considering resigning from the party and starting a new party but uh, something he mentioned is that he's he's uh, he thinks uh, the new power party is turning light green or uh, in other words uh, too friendly with uh, the DPP and that is uh, definitely a legitimate you know 
concern uh, among our party supporters, and we welcome any debates on that issue. Because uh, some issues we would definitely, you know, don't want to go along the lines of a DPP,、uh, especially if the the government officials are corrupt and they are doing something against the law.、Um, but on the other issues, for example,、um, to you know how to win seats in parliament, how to you know gain the most、uh, effective coalition against the、uh, the poor China parties, the KMTs,、uh, the new parties, and whatnot.、Um, in that area, I I wouldn't. Concerned too much about being friendly with DPP because forming allies is very important when you are trying to run elections, and、um, so there are legitimate debates on both sides of the point. And whether new power parties should be friends with DPP that that that's、uh, that that's something that we're always debating about inside our party. So Ross, this, this using third false parties to get more people elected. Do you think that could prevent ruling parties from ramming bills through, or do you think it won't have much of an effect? It depends how many seats they win, Gavin.、Uh, if the majority、uh, still maintains、uh, the numbers that it has now, whether it was the Guomindang or the DPP,、uh, whether there's a small party with five, seven, ten seats, it becomes irrelevant. So. If we go back over the last twenty years or so, or the last four or five、uh, legislative UN elections, we see multiple times that one party、uh, has has a majority. Or for many years, there was the the KMT combined with the uh, uh, People's First Party of James Song Chu Yu that they had a majority. So it didn't matter that there was a DPP and then a smaller Taiwan Solidarity Union、uh, new party. On and off again, had some seats,、uh, and the unaligned members who kind of aligned themselves and then called themselves the unaligned <laughs> aligned members, and, and they were also another five or so seats. But if it plays out the way it's played out with past elections, and at least we now have a pattern where it seems that if if a, a president wins fifty、uh, plus percent, then that. Candidate's party usually wins a majority,、uh, easy majority in, in the Li Fa Yuan in the legislative Yuan. So that happened with Ma Ying-jeou in two thousand eight to two thousand twelve, where the Guomindang won a large majority in, in the legislative Yuan, and then in twenty sixteen, where Tsai Ing-wen she won fifty six percent of the vote, and her party、uh, won because people vote the same way, right? They vote down the ticket, so it would be unusual if 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 it's a great year for Tsai Ing-wen, a great a great voting day on on January eleventh, twenty twenty, then people are also going to. Vote for the DPP candidate. Doesn't matter how many smaller parties are on the ballot because people often don't split their vote. However, 2020 might be a different situation than the past three legislative UN elections because there might be multiple presidential candidates. So we might get people voting for a Kowenja instead of Tsai Ing-wen or, or whoever the Guomindang candidate is, which means they're not going to be so inclined to also vote for a, a, a DPP legislative. UN candidate, so that does open up the possibility.、Uh, however, if if it becomes a fractured legislative UN, so let's say there's a fractured presidential election where there's multiple candidates, the winning candidate gets something in like the 30s or the low 40s because the vote is split among three or four candidates, and in the legislative UN plays out that way as well, you get a, a one party wins a majority by by a very small number of seats,、uh, or they have a plurality, and and, and the the fractured grouping of other parties can actually Stop legislation. That would be something unprecedented for here in Taiwan. That would lead to, frankly, a lot of chaos.、Uh, we'd probably see some more fighting in the legislative UN, more pushing and shoving.、Um, that that'll get Taiwan in the international headlines, but it'll be very bad for lawmaking. So.、Uh, 
there's there's good reason why in the United States people say like oh we need a third party but then we often come to the conclusion that well the two party system has worked out pretty well or in your United Kingdom uh, Gavin as you know you know people say oh we need a third party the Liberal Democrats or the Brexit party but sometimes it looks like uh, having Labour and the Conservatives um, added some stability to the system so we could be in for for an unprecedented period if there's a fractured presidential election then the legislative UN votes get fractured. And maybe Guan Zhang could run because no one's going to push him around to the legislature, are they? Yeah, actually, we invited him in to to be. I know Huang Guochang invited him to be our candidates, but he said no. Well, what, what, why did Huang Guochang do that, Xiao? I mean, what 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 political or policy visions does Guan Zhang have that are consistent with your party? Well, um, first of all, I'm not sure because it's really not our party's stance. It's Kwang Guochang's stance. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and we're once again talking about a deadly long-distance bus accident. This one occurred on the Sun Yat-sen Freeway in Zhanghua County on Monday night, and it left three people dead and 13 others injured. Now, the Directorate General of Highways and the Ministry of Transport have been carrying out inspections of all vehicles operated by the Aloha Bus Company this week, and also reviewing the company's operating and safety procedures. Now, the accident was the bus operator's second in the past two years that has resulted in fatalities. And there is, of course, once again talk that the driver was working rather long hours. Well, every time there are these kinds of accidents, uh, the, the, there's always some regulatory infraction that authorities can find. So uh, when, when the authorities go, go to Aloha's uh, yard and inspect the buses, they're always going to find that, that some buses, and potentially the bus that was involved in the accident, uh, its inspections weren't up to date or, or the parts used were, were not up to standard. Uh, and as you mentioned, Gavin, you could always find that the drivers worked uh, in excess of the permitted number of hours, especially after the, the mul- multiple rounds of labor law revisions in the last few years, which has led to so much confusion. So that it could have been an intentional violation of the number of hours. It could have been a unintentional mistake. Uh, it could have been the driver wanted to earn overtime, which is very often the case in these situations. So th- they'll definitely find some kind of violation. And then the other thing we'll see, because it comes up every single time, or it's always part of the the post-event uh, actions is the regulations will be changed, so the fines will be increased, or, or if you had to inspect the bus once every X months, they'll change that so that it's a smaller period with which in which buses need to be inspected. So there'll always be these rather cosmetic actions, which of course never change uh, the big picture issue, and that's one we've talked about often when there's road accidents, the dust fire in, in Don Shui, the, the Transasia plane crashes uh, that occurred in, in, within the last few years. Uh, that That is a, a culture issue, right? A safety culture issue that is lacking in Taiwan. It's lacking in private industry. It's lacking in government agencies. And, and that, that would include uh, government I- institutions such as the military, where there's periodic accidents. In fact, that's one of the impetuses for one of Xiao's legislative colleagues to seek elected office was, was the death of her brother due to a, a, a really a lack of a, a good safety culture in the military, as, as well as bullying. Uh, but but th- we never fix that problem. You know, changing the, the dollar amount of the fines that, that 
long-distance bus operators potentially face could just be a cost of business for, for the bus operators. It doesn't change the lack of safety culture in Taiwan. That's very unfortunate. We really need political leaders, and I would encourage you to go back and meet with your colleagues, Xiao, and talk about this. And you mentioned Huang Guochang could be very, very emotional and colorful when he's pounding the table in the legislative UN, uh, accusing government officials of, of some wrongdoing or not doing their job. But instead of saying, do your job better, or how come you haven't increased the fines? I'd rather he pounds the table, and your colleagues do as well, and say, this is a problem for all of us in Taiwan. We all have to do more to improve our safety culture. It's not a question of, did you do the inspection on time? You can do the inspection on time, but that doesn't change the safety culture because when you go do the inspection, the, the people at a transportation company might be putting on a show for the inspectors because they know the inspectors are coming, so they'll make sure that day everything looks good. Right? It, it's a safety culture issue. really needs to start from the top, whether it's the president or, or the executive UN or legislators. Chow, obviously, your former boss banging his hands on the table in the legislature is one thing. But, I mean, do you think the Aloha bus company should even be allowed to exist anymore? Right. I mean, these incidents kept happening. And then there are actually regulations that limits the amount of uh, hours the driver can drive. It's up to 10 hours a day. But we can see time and time again, these drivers drove up to, you know, 13, 15 hours a day and then without without proper rest so this is, as Russ uh, point out it's, it's a cultural issue and then um, especially the, the labor inspections I mean we can see in some you know counties and some cities the, the labor inspection is non-existent I mean there's no budget for it and the labor inspection office is really understaffed so um, labor you know rights are a core concern of our party and then especially in Taipei we have uh, Taipei City Councilor Sabrina Lim she made it a, a central focus of her work to uh, to make sure that in Taipei the, the bus drivers uh, are given an adequate amount of rest and then not driving you know nine consecutive days or even 11 13 consecutive days because it creates a real road danger for, for, for not just the driver but the passenger and also the fellow you know cars on the street so this is really a, a serious issue but uh, Russ pointed out that we should really uh, pitch in and do this together but uh, as, a, as a minority in, in, in parliament it's really something to, to def defend you know Huang Guochang it's something that really we can do us is to you know to, to yell out the issue and then make make the voices heard and then make people pay attention because sometimes when people don't pay attention there's not much how much work that's being done behind closed doors that, that's just not going to go past past so it's, yeah. well let me give you an example okay starting from January uh, the, the African swine fever became an issue of serious concern. Premier Su Jun Chang, when he took over as premier from, from William Lai, uh, got very involved in this issue. He's done public service announcements, uh, Facebook videos, posters, where, where, where he's saying, you know, don't, don't bring in this food. Right? And, and it almost seems like, like he's, his motivation is as much... To make it a China issue because so much of this this uh, uh, infected uh, product comes from China, then it is a, a public safety issue. But if, if Premier Su can bring so much enthusiasm to African swine fever, then he can bring enthusiasm to workplace safety culture issues as well. Right. right? So, so you're saying like your party is limited in what they could do. Well, I, again, I'm I'm encouraging you not to say or only to focus on. Well, did the inspectors do their job, or do you have enough inspectors? Because if you you could add more inspectors, but again, 
when you go to do the inspection, the people you're inspecting will just put on a show to make sure they pass the inspection that day. It, it, it's a safety culture issue. That's this has to start at the top, right? The president, the premier, legislators say, no, this, this we need to do more to safe safeguard uh, the lives of of the people you mentioned, whether it's the people on the bus, other motorists, pedestrians, right? Again, it, it, it's just a question of like, do you have enough budget to do an inspection? Yeah, it's interesting how you bring up uh, the premier Xu Zhenchang and the swine flu. I mean, and the question why he's not more forceful behind the, uh, the 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 bus safety issue, it's because there's just a lot of pushbacks from the industry. I mean, the the bus operators they push back on you know decreasing the amount of hours the driver can drive because then they will have to hire more drivers and spend more money. So in, in Taiwan, when you see the government is not pushing something, it's not because they are being lazy. It's because there's so much pushbacks. So if you look at other issues like, like, like Uber, you'll see that they, they are doing things that way because it's just too much, so much pushbacks on the, the traditional industries like, like taxi drivers. So that's, um, that's something that I, I look at it from, yeah, from my side. Right, moving on, and some 8,000 residents of Vietnam's Hai Tin province have filed a lawsuit at the Taipei District Court as they look for compensation from the Formosa Plastics Group for a pollution which was caused by the conglomerate's steel mill in 2016. Now, the Vietnamese pollution victims are being represented here by several civic groups, and they're handling the lawsuit, which is seeking some 140 million NT in compensation. So you're a lawyer, Ross. Of course, this took place in 2016. The Vietnamese government technically on paper supposedly compensated the victims after Formosa Plastics did pay a hefty fine and now they brought it to Taipei to get more compensation. Gavin, I think we can make a date for about uh, 10 years from now, so we'll say June 14th, 2029 and we'll still be talking about this lawsuit in all likelihood. Why is that? These kinds of lawsuits tend to go into the Taiwan legal system and uh, disappear into the black hole of lawyers and court dates and judges and appeals and retrials. And we know this from from cases such as the very well-known one involving an RCA factory uh, where workers, Taiwanese workers, factory here in Taiwan, were alleged uh, to to have been poisoned by some of the chemicals that the factory uses or residents were poisoned by the dumping of chemicals into the ground. This went on for years, years, and, and these cases are very difficult to resolve. Uh, so it, it's a challenge. They, they don't live here. They're not citizens. They're not residents. Um, the, the courts, uh, I think it's fair to say, are, are willing to listen. There's not necessarily a, a home court advantage for Formosa, but it's going to be a very difficult case to make. You're going to have to bring in or, or prove your case with evidence. Uh, there'll be uh, lots of objections, of course, from Formosa. They'll say we followed various rules. And then, as you mentioned, Gavin, there's also the issue of a settlement having already been reached. Uh, and Formosa's lawyers will, of course, argue that on the basis of having already settled all claims, there shouldn't be no lawsuit. So uh, hopefully they have good lawyers who are willing to do a lot of work for not a lot of money or zero money. So they're going to take this as a pro bono public interest matter and take on one of Taiwan's biggest companies, uh, but it's going to be very difficult and it's very hard to be optimistic that they'll see a positive result. Yeah, but looking at this from the other side, I heard one of the reasons they brought the lawsuit here to Taiwan is because these uh, these victims they face uh, physical dangers in Vietnam if they they brought the trials there. So um, it, it's just a way to see that maybe they view Taiwan as more um, uh, a country with more uh, uh, 
justice system, a stronger justice system and rule of law. So they believe that their the cause will, will, will get here uh, properly in, in a court of law um, and maybe, you know, adjudicated properly. So this is something that we um, really hope that it turns out, you know, for them um, and see that this is something that really should be compensated. Yeah, but uh, court, uh, the most basic threshold issue in a trial when you're trying to sue someone is, does the court you're going into have jurisdiction over the claim? And again, uh, Formosa is going to have really good lawyers because they can afford it. And they'll say, like, this is the wrong court. The, the, the alleged wrongdoing, and they won't admit to wrongdoing, they'll say the alleged wrongdoing didn't happen in Taiwan. It happened in Vietnam. We're in the wrong place. You want to sue us? Sue us in Vietnam. Don't sue us in, in Taiwan. This is just not where the wrongdoing occurred. Of course, you did mention the RCA case, Ross, and I believe that took something like 24 years, I believe, to be resolved. Yeah, and, and, and by analogy, there's also similar cases such as disputes over infrastructure projects. So a famous one is Taipei City Government and the French company that provided the uh, the driverless cars on, on the Muja Wenhu uh, MRT line. There are these kinds of cases that involve cross-border disputes over equipment or, or factories or, or, or uh, bad workmanship uh, really could go on for decades. And again, arguably, this is just not the right right court uh, to, to be in. Right, and before we go this week, Ross was rather sad when he heard that model Lin Ling as well, she filled the pages of the local tabloids this week after she married a member of a Japanese boy band name of Exile. That was the boy band's name. I believe the singer is called Akira or something along those lines. Now, of course, Lin Ling's wedding not only made Ross shed a few tears, but also her former beau, Jerry Yan, of the now-defunct Taiwanese boy band F4, was left rather glum when he heard at an air that she got married, Ross. Well, the good news for Mr. Yan is uh, he'll remain one of Taiwan's most eligible bachelors, so hopefully he'll recover quickly. And I guess that would just leave me, Gavin, as the number two most eligible bachelor in Taiwan. <laughs> So Lin Jerling, did you did you read the tabloid show? Yes, of course. I share a lot of tales, tears as well. I mean, because who who would not? I mean, she's the most famous uh, actress in, in Taiwan. I mean, we grew up watching her. So she supports your party. Is that why you're shedding tears? Uh, I'm not certain <laughs> on that issue. <laughs> I hope she does. But of course, on a serious matter, talking about this tabloid tittle tattle, the Apple Daily announced this week that it's set to become Taiwan's first daily newspaper to lock up its online content behind a paywall come September. September. So there you go, Shao. Will you be paying for the Apple Daily to read stories about Lin Ling on the um, internet or not? Uh, I might not because I've I can find many other sources that's talking about this. Millions of other sources. Um, so uh, if they uh, Apple Daily wants to set up a paywall, I mean, she, they should really ramp up their uh, quality of their news piece. Not, uh, Ouch! Uh, Ooh, wow, <laughs> that was a criticism, right? Because the new but, uh, if, if just gossips I can get from anywhere. I mean, I I don't see many people. Would, you know, and there's an, there's another challenge, Gavin, which is because you know people in Taiwan are really nice. So you you go to the bank, they give you water. They got newspapers. They got aircon. In fact, some banks have very powerful aircon. I, I was walking with a friend uh, uh, on one of the larger avenues here in Taipei yesterday. We walked by a bank, and she, and she said, why is the bank filled with people in the middle of the afternoon? They're just sitting there doing nothing. I said, because it's got great aircon, <laughs> and it's dry, <laughs> and it's got newspapers and, and, and beverages. Uh, so what, what are the challenges Apple faces as well is uh, not just other news sources that will continue to be free, but if you really, really want to read Apple, you want to see their cartoons, for example, or their, their, uh, 
their animated uh, front page. Uh, you could just walk into a bank or an office, uh, I believe right here at ICRT, you have a bunch of free newspapers for visitors like me to, to peruse while waiting for the show to begin. Uh, so you could get your hands on the free newspaper or, or sit down in the bank or some other uh, government office, for example, and, and read the newspapers. Uh, they're right there on those big metal bar things to, to, to page through. Uh, so uh, not optimistic that this will be a successful model, unless, as Xiao said, they offer offer something more. And it, it's got to be more than just the content, because the content, again, it's available everywhere else for free, or you could read an Apple Apple Daily for free. There, there's got to be something more like, uh, you know, like the National Lottery, you know, some kind of free giveaway every month, or you could win cash by subscribing to the Apple Daily. They're, they're really going to have to do a lot more. Otherwise, it's going to be a failed business model. Apparently, it's not so failing, apparently, because apparently they started, of course, a free membership trial when you had to go online to log in, to register, to look at their content. And apparently, according to Jimmy Lai, the newspaper now has the online content of the newspaper has 3.2 million registered subscribers. Because it's free. It's free, precisely. Yes, there we go. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xinxiang. Good day, everyone. And Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.